Welcome to You Can't Get to Heaven in a Miniskirt. My name is Jessica. And my name is Sarah. And if you'd like to find us on social media, you can find us on Instagram and TikTok at Heaven in a Miniskirt and Twitter at Miniskirt Pod. And you can visit our website at heaveninaminiskirt.com. And take it away, Sarah. So today, as you know, we are talking about I Kiss Dating Goodbye, which is a book that was released in 1997 by Josh Harris. So I was just coming into the purity culture dating scene in middle school. So that was just a couple years after that where I would have gotten into these books. And so I unfortunately have some of my thoughts about the book written down from the Facebook vault. Oh my God, the Facebook vault. I've been going back into the Facebook vault of Facebook chats from 2007. You got me going back and I started reliving some very painful memories and immediately stopped. I don't know if I can handle it unless I go to therapy. Like, holy shit. Don't go back in your old Facebook messages if you have some trauma, guys. Yeah, don't do it. It's not worth it. It's really... Except if you're doing a podcast and need to talk about it. I feel like the only word I, I always say, I'm always like, it's so cringy, but it is. I just want to dig a hole and go inside of it when I read these things. It's like more than cringe. Like cringe is also kind of funny. This is like more like trauma. <laughs> this is traumatic. Like really. Can I talk about my experience with this book? Yes, please do. So <laughs> it is zero experience with this book. So I did not read this book. I had actually never heard about it until we started doing this podcast and you mentioned it and I was like I don't know that book and since then it has come across my computer screen a billion times like how did I avoid this book for so long I like I don't know it is it's like avoiding the bible itself (laughs) I honestly don't don't know how you avoided it do you think it's because like maybe my parents aren't practicing Christian so like they didn't give it to me so maybe that's I fucking sought it out at the Christian bookstore I was like (laughs) I remember this older couple that worked at camp. They're no longer married, but they were courting at the time. And they were super intense about they wouldn't do any full frontal hugs. Full frontal hugs. (laughs) Just side side hugs. They wouldn't pray together alone because it was too intimate. And (laughs) yeah. So I remember that couple and they were big proponents of this book. So I think I really looked up to them at the time and I was like, that's amazing and their analogy was like if you want to avoid getting burned like do you go as close to the fire as possible no you try and stay as far away as possible I remember this couple and when you said that quote I was like oh my god I think I've heard them say that oh god all these memories are coming back so you were probably like reading Harry Potter (laughs) I didn't read Harry Potter because it was not a godly book and instead, I was reading I Kissed Dating Goodbye by Josh Harris. So I'm so excited. So I'm, I'm also coming to this blind. You told me not to read it or anything about it, which I have not. And it's been so hard because it's everywhere. So I'm super excited. And I will let you talk now. All right. Before we get really into the things that are problematic with this book, I think doing an overview is a good idea because obviously not everyone has read this book, including you. And... There's a lot to get into. He he has three different parts. So part one is called Isn't There a Better Way? And in part one, he talks about getting back to like not what feels good, but what is good and how 
sometimes dating, it's a very selfish process because it focuses on what someone else can give you. And so basically, yeah, basically it gets into being smart about about love and and that you have no business in going after someone's heart if you're not ready to make a lifelong commitment to them. And so it's really important to avoid short-term relationships. And he gets into what he calls the seven habits of highly defective dating. <laughs> which is funny because I feel like we all in middle school probably read the seven habits of high- highly effective people. Yes. So, <laughs> oh my God. This is Josh Harris's critique of dating. So the habits are number one. Dating leads to intimacy, but not necessarily to commitment. Okay. Okay. What's wrong with that? Um, it's it's not leading to lifelong commitment. I think it's inherently clear what's wrong with that, Jessica. <laughs> of course, of course. Oh my god. How did you how did you not know? Just get inside get inside oh a two thousands, late nineties teenage Christian's head. And here you of course, here of you course. go. Number two, <laughs> dating tends to skip the friendship stage of the relationship. That's kind of an assumption, Josh. Like, I don't think, yeah, you know, I don't think necessarily that you're skipping the friendship stage. Like, there's so- first of all, like, what, what do, you, what the fuck do you know, Josh? He's had one, one high school relationship at this point, Jessica. Come on, he has some experience. <laughs> of course. Oh my god! After my first high school relationship, I knew everything, and I should have also written a book. So then. The third highly defective habit is that dating often mistakes a physical relationship for love. The part that I find hard with this is that it's making the assumption that a physical relationship isn't an important part of love. Because it is. Even if you look within the Bible, like it's made very clear that like that intimacy, that oneness. Yes, they in the Bible it says to save that for marriage, but it's hard to divorce love from physical connection yeah of course right it's a total connection to a person not just physical but that's important physical connection in a relationship i think is so underrated in christian circles if you don't have sex before marriage i mean i'm not gonna tell someone that they have to have sex before marriage but if you have no physical intimacy before you get married to somebody you have no idea if you're physically compatible or not and that is a pillar in a relationship it's an it's a huge pillar I think lots of people would have that point of view and sure there are there are still tons of people that don't have sex until they're married or decide not to kiss until they're married. That's a definitely a way smaller percentage. But I think I think we can kind of see the like no physical contact is kind of problematic because like you said, how do you know you're kind of problematic? How do you know you're attracted to them? (laughs) How do you know? How do you know? How do you know? It doesn't sound good. And having healthy physical intimacy is so important to a relationship. And it's not just sex, but it's all the other things like, you know, like cuddling and making out and like those things are all so essential. And if you don't even you know, if you don't even if you don't even full frontal hug, then <laughs> you're missing out a little bit. Just a little. Um, I mean, I sure if you don't want to have actual intercourse before marriage, that's that is a personal choice that I can't, you know, I can't really speak to, but and I can't really get mad at anyone for. But yeah, there's there's other things you can do to make sure that you're at least a little bit physically compatible. Okay, number four is that dating often isolates a couple from other vital relationships. I would say it's not a healthy relationship if you're if you're codependent totally off everyone else. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah if you're codependent. Don't be in a codependent relationship. Like, okay. Oh my god. Well, yeah. okay, Josh, you don't know anything. You're 20 years old. You've probably only been in a codependent relationship. Like, you don't know the difference. Yeah. I'd say, uh, you know what? I'm guessing that a lot of Christian relationships are very codependent. 
I think a lot of relationships in general are very codependent. But I feel like when you add Christianity into it, the way that marriages are really taught in Christianity, I think really add this codependent element to it. It's like you're a man and wife, you know, you're together and that's all that matters and you're together and you have a relationship with God together. And I don't think there's a ton of room for like friendships in there from what I've understood from really hardcore young Christian marriages. Well, I think... I don't think that there's not room for friendships, but I do think that it goes beyond just a marriage and partnership when your worldview is literally like marriage is a covenant that is showing the relationship between Christ and the church. (laughs) Like that's a whole other level. Like that's, it makes things a lot more, a lot more intense. It makes it, it, people take it as very, very spiritual, I guess. Mm -hmm. And I think the roles that are prescribed to in some Christian circles some interpretations of the Bible only kind of contribute to that. Yeah, if you're if you're supposed to be home obeying your husband and if you're supposed to be a housewife, literally only in the house to make your husband's life easier, which is what some people do believe, then as a wife, you're not going to be able to like go with your girlfriends or even have guy friends, which sometimes having friends of the opposite sex is very healthy and normal. And I'm guessing that that's... No, Josh Harris actually, uh, spoiler alert, he actually encourages friendships with the opposite sex. Okay. Which is good. Um, (laughs) Didn't expect that. For number five of the highly defective habits, it's in many cases dating distracts young adults from the primary responsibility of preparing for the future. What's the primary responsibility of preparing for the future? Mm. So dating distracts from marriage? Because as a Christian, what is your purpose in the future? Usually, it's usually get married, have a bunch of babies. Or I I mean, I think it would be like, okay, you want to be able to probably more so for the man to financially provide and, you know, get a good career and you want to... But, but then what? I don't know. How do you meet somebody if you're not dating, if you're not putting yourselves in those situations to meet people? So you're... Courtship courtship yeah number six is dating can cause discontentment with god's gift of singleness okay paul, paul. Uh. <laughs> i knew you were gonna say okay, that paul. <laughs> okay paul paul just wants everyone to be single and miserable like <laughs> one thing to play devil's advocate though like a lot of christianity is focused on like you need to find someone you need to do something like josh does recognize like yeah. it's okay to be single like it doesn't mean there's something wrong with you you can learn about yourself a lot. You can work on yourself. Yeah, that's fair. Okay. It's almost like he's recognizing that asexual people exist before they were part of the LGBTQIA. He is recognizing that asexual people exist, but I think he's like, you can be single now, but like you eventually have to find someone. I don't know if he says like you should be single forever. Does he? No, he said some people have the gift of singleness and never end up with someone. Yeah, I guess that's a gift. <laughs> and then number seven, the last one is... Dating creates an artificial environment for evaluating another person's character. You know what I think creates an artificial environment? Courtship. Because you're never alone with the person. Dating causes an artificial environment. So what does he suggest instead? That you're just friends with them? Well, it's great that you asked. Okay, because I I don't know what else you would do besides courtship. He suggests five new attitude changes to help you avoid defective dating oh my god number one is every relationship is an opportunity to model christ's love that's not a bad one love others as you love yourself okay be a good person okay yeah my unmarried years are a gift from god this sounds like a mantra that paul probably said to himself (laughs) that's his mantra that's that's all paul says to himself yeah and then number three intimacy is the reward of commitment i don't need to pursue a romantic relationship before i'm ready for marriage intimacy so oh okay so sex is the reward is what yeah. he's saying 
Okay, number Uh-oh. I cannot own someone. I cannot own someone outside of marriage. You can't own someone ever. That's called slavery, Josh. Well, there's in in the Bible they there's a verse that says the man gives the authority of his body over to his wife and the wife gives the authority of her body over to the man. Mm. It's that whole like the whole oneness, right? Yeah, like okay, I hate that so much, but I understand that like you should be vulnerable when you have sex with your partner and and be giving and receiving and all that, but my god, you don't nobody owns my body. Like that's my body and you should respect that. Oh. I don't like that. And I feel like we like we could literally do an episode on each chapter cuz there's so much to unpack in this book we could actually um and then number five <laughs> this is more than i expected to yeah be number five is i will avoid situations that could compromise the purity of my body or mind okay so wow th- that could be a lot of situations yeah you don't even know that's also just like gazing upon women can you walk through the mall like can you <laughs> yeah yeah do can you go in the youth van without seeing a woman on the street and bop. then everyone goes bop, <laughs> bop. bop. <laughs> Yeah, you have to listen to our previous episode to understand that inside joke. So that's part one. Wow. Okay. And then part two really gets into, okay, what is the main thing here? What is love? What are we focusing on? And so it gets into, you know, like 1 Corinthians 13, like love is patient, love is kind, and breaking down all of the ways that we can be loving, which is which is good. Um, And then how you can have the right thing at the wrong time and... So basically how you need to just trust God and you need to focus on... Let go and let God. Let go and let God and focus on other people and loving other people. Okay, this isn't like bad advice just in general, I don't think. I yeah. think this is probably one of the only things in the book that I agree with. It's like, if you don't love yourself and if you don't love others and if you don't live a life of independence, you're not going to be desirable to another person unless... The other person's very damaged or something. But you're very likely not going to be desirable to other people. That's my interpretation of it. Now, I'm guessing that my interpretation of it is probably wrong because it usually is with these things. Well, I mean, I feel like that part, you you pretty much hit it right on the nose. But the next part in part two, he goes on to talk about how it's really important to be on the road to righteousness, to consider purity okay now i hate him (laughs) he says respect the deep significance of physical intimacy make sure you have a really high standard work hard to protect the purity of others wait why do i have to protect other people's purity it's showing that your brothers and sisters in christ love so how do you respect other people's purity you dress modestly well as a woman you could dress modestly of course and then he also has a little a little note that if you have messed up before and you know masturbated or had sex or kissed you can ask for forgiveness and god will forgive you and then part three moving into you can move past the stuff you've done before and you can build a new lifestyle start with a clean slate what where in the bible says that you're not allowed to kiss before marriage nowhere but it says do not have even a hint of sexual immorality and then it also says in matthew jesus said if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, it's like you're committing adultery. Right. We talked about that. So I think it's pretty hard not to have lust if you're making out with someone. So I, I can see the Bible basis for for maybe not like open mouth kissing. But I think like I don't get the no full frontal hugs or pecking. At that point, I think that 
I don't know. I think there's just a lot of pent up stuff happening. And I guess, <laughs> I guess you have to you have to go to an extreme if you want to stay pure. Like, I don't I mean, he's not giving bad advice because you're like, bringing up a lot of memories for me, to be honest, like high yeah. school memories. I mean, if that's someone's goal, if if someone's goal is not having sex till marriage and not having a hint of immorality or any lust, like following his, Josh Harris's steps will probably get you there. Yeah. I mean, like, I don't have that worldview, and I and I don't view that as necessarily healthy or desirable. I never in my life thought that not kissing until marriage was something that I should be doing. I thought that was – always thought that I was too yeah. extreme. Yeah. So continuing on. So basically, part three is building that new lifestyle. It's talking about having good boundaries in relationships, making sure that your parents and trusted Christian seniors hold you accountable – um it says to have a healthy relationships with the opposite sex but keeping it out of the romantic zone so okay be inclusive not exclusive seek opportunities to serve and not to be entertained what so like don't just use people as your little pawns to entertain you like <laughs> don't be a narcissist <laughs> don't be yeah don't be a psychopath <laughs> it's good advice and when people say that that you're crazy for not dating, you can talk about your convictions with humility. Uh, you don't have to prove people wrong. It, as you're describing this, I can imagine the person that Josh Harris is trying to describe in the book. And I hate them. Like, I find them very annoying. <laughs> well, I think that's why when Josh Harris went back and looked at all this, after having some more life experience and hearing how this impacted other people, I think he, once he was a little more moderate, he apologized to people because he was like, this was very legalistic. Um, and then part four is making time for your singleness, making sure that you're ready for marriage, making sure that, that you consider like how a person relates to God, how they relate to others. Do they have personal discipline? Like, do the, how do they use their time, their money? How do they take care of their, their own body? Okay. Like, do they shower? <laughs> do they shower? Do they brush their teeth? And then he talks about uh, the hierarchy of essentially the road to marriage would be casual friendship, deeper friendship, purposeful intimacy with integrity. What's that? And engagement. Well, okay. How, how can there be person? I don't give a shit. Oh my god, this is so stupid. What I'm feeling right now is, and where my mind is going, is that this all sounds very tiring. That's why I got tired researching all of this. Yeah, yeah. Because it's just, who has the fucking time? Is all you're doing thinking about dating when you're this age? Like, I guess. But when I stopped being a Christian, or kind of started to go away from the Christian circles and stopped dating Christians, and I talked about this in another episode, it was so refreshing to just be like, let's just date and hang out and I can do my own thing and we don't have to talk to our parents and talk to our mentors and make sure this and make sure that and not kiss and not touch and we have to make sure that we're on the road to marriage a bit like and I think it's a lot of that's a lot of pressure on relationships and friendships like an unreasonable amount of pressure yeah especially as a young teenager you read this how old were you probably 12 13 yeah and I think for me at that point obviously I had no experience dating when I read this book and for me it was like oh like I want all those things of course when you're that age or in general who doesn't want to have a really fulfilling relationship and if this is what you're being told is the ideal for God 
you could almost feel smug in a way when you're living this kind of lifestyle because it's like you know I'm better than everyone else because not even a hint of immorality (laughs) you know how earlier I said the guy that Josh Harris is describing he's a smug little fucker that's exactly (laughs) that's the word I was looking for yes it's very smug a hundred percent so that's kind of like the overview of the book he kind of ends the book with saying like hopefully someday I will have a love story I'm proud to tell and like you know you can continue to write your story and the thing is Sarah like you read this when you were a teenager it sounds like a bit of a fairy tale and what he's doing is trying to sell the fairy tale idea just in a new package and it's still unrealistic fairy tales are not real this is an idealized version i feel like anything any any book be it christian or not any movie it's all idealized like social media is idealized and then you live your life you go through real shit that's hard and you realize that there is no there is no guidebook for any of this and I think a lot of people became really disillusioned because there's lots of people that followed this book and were like, okay, I did all the things, so I am going to have a happy, successful marriage. And spoiler alert, not everybody did. I'm sure some people did, of course. Like like everything, there are some people that did and some people that didn't. Of course, but the d- divorce rates within Christianity are the same as divorce rates outside of Christianity. Really? No one has a magic formula. So yeah, so that that is essentially the summary of I Kiss Dating Goodbye in a nutshell and a lot to take in the best part though it's a lot to take in but I have a time machine called Facebook and he has the Facebook vortex (laughs) and I I put I Kiss Dating Goodbye into my Facebook and of course I found a conversation from 2008 when I was in grade 12 and messaging back and forth with a friend so oh my god okay so we're gonna see what 2008 Sarah thought of the book Okay. She said, I've only read a few pages, but I would love to discuss it with you. And she goes on about some Bible verses and stuff. So my response is, um, I have read Boy Meets Girl. It's the one that comes after I Kiss Dating Goodbye, in brackets, which I've also read. Um, I, like you, thought some points were good, but honestly, other ones were a little strange to me. I think some of his thinking is overly idealistic and legalistic, but he seems to be a guy who is really seeking God and has a desire to help young people like us stay pure in our relationships. That is so funny. You mentioned that Bible verse, sort of ironic, because I was just reading that chapter last week. I also found it very relevant. Um, I found it very hard to fight temptation. Um, And then... I'm just going to share the the part where I get into the Holy Spirit. No, no. But if you keep on reading Romans 7, it gets into Romans 8, where it talks about how Jesus gives us power through the Holy Spirit. I find the Holy Spirit is an interesting guy. I've been getting to know him this year. I (laughs) never really thought about how important it is to have a relationship with him. It sounds weird, but the Holy Spirit is God on earth. He is our teacher, comforter, leader, encourager, helper, and source of power and strength. I guess baptism in the Holy Spirit is sort of a forgotten doctrine by some people, but I think it's pretty relevant. What do you think? Love you. So glad you're walking with God and so pumped. I love you. <laughs> oh my God, your face messages are the oh worst. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. So that's... <laughs> That's what I thought of the book. So yeah. I think even in my most intense times with being in, in the evangelical church, the charismatic movement, even this was like a little too conservative for me. 
Because I remember thinking like, ah, I think kissing's fine. Just like no, no uh, touching boobs or genitals and you're fine. Yeah. I think that was kind of my point of view back then. But there was a short period in 2006 after reading Josh Harris's book where I was like, yes, I am going to wait till marriage to kiss. Seriously? Yeah. Yeah. And I've actually been at weddings of people in their mid to late 20s who have never kissed anyone before and had their first kiss on the altar. That's so. terrible. And I, I really just can't imagine having my first kiss on the altar in front of a bunch of people. Well, especially if you build it up in your head, too. Because mm. I feel mm-hmm. like if you're like, it's like years and years that you're like, yes, this person's going to come and everything's going to be perfect. And and you idealize it. It's a little, like I said in my review from 2008, it's a little idealistic <laughs> and legalistic. Um, it is idealistic for sure. Like, well, the fact that, well, how old was Josh Harris when he wrote these books? So this is what we're going to get into. I'll get into the bio of Josh Harris because okay. Josh Harris was uh, 21 when the book came out in 1997. And he had had, according to him back then, one serious relationship when he was in high school and they had kissed and shared too many personal things together. So his Uh-oh. motivation for writing the book was he felt like dating was was selfish and he wanted to have a more godly approach to dating. And so he kind of took a term called courtship. So it would start off with being friends with a bunch of people and hanging out in groups. And then if you were interested in a particular woman, as the man, you would go and talk to her father and say that <laughs> you wanted to court her with the intention of getting married. And if her father was okay with it, then he would bring it up to her. And then... What? Yeah. Oh, no. It wouldn't even like, oh, that makes the woman seem like a piece of property. I don't like that. No, they, they, they'd all have a discussion together. It advocates in the book, preferably for like Christian mentors and like both sets of parents, if they're Christian, to all be there. And that's how you get to know each other in kind of the group context. And then you can go on some group dates, but it's not recommended that you hang out one on one. And it's really interesting because he does develop this system that he's advocating for courtship. But then he also goes into telling a lot of stories about, you know, women that how awful it was when someone didn't save themselves for their husband, how much guilt they had, how dirty they felt. So there's there's a thematic analysis of the book, and it's nobody wants to date a whore, rape supportive messages in women-directed Christian dating books, and it's from the journal Sexuality and Culture, and it's by Clement and Brad in 2017. And so they discuss how in, in Josh Harris's book, he tells the story of a girl named Jessica who is a naive virgin, and she wants to save her virginity for marriage, but... She, she always, quote unquote, from the book, places herself in compromising situations with her older boyfriend. And they say that men have strong sex drives that cannot be thwarted. So it's women, again, it's that theme. Like we, if you look back at our Purity Ring episode, it's that theme of, okay, women are responsible not only for their own actions, but also for how they dress because men cannot control themselves. And he talks about, like in his book, Josh Harris, it almost implies that ownership of men over women. Like he says that men should be the one to make the first move. And he's like, please don't misunderstand this as a chauvinistic attitude. Men were not to lord it over girls. 
That's the exact opposite of Christ-like servanthood. Husbands must show their wives. But the Bible clearly defines the importance of a man's spiritual leadership in marriage. So so headship and submission all over again wow good thing we did all those episodes before we did this because i feel like all the themes are really popping back up right now yeah and i was i was trying to find media of josh harris from way back to try and see if i could find a video or something and then i found out that he had been on um bill bill maher with uh it's super random with another like Christian woman named Christine and then Ben Affleck. So he's on, <laughs> so he's like, so what? I really wanted to see this video because I found, I was watching a TED talk, I think that Josh Harris does. And he mentioned that he was on Bill Maher with Ben Affleck. And I was like, I need to find this. So if anyone on the internet can find this video, please send it to us. But I was only able to find a transcript. And it's so funny because um, it's this conversation between the three of them. And, uh, I think it'd be funny if you if you read it. So the transcript. So it's right here. Um, well, there are four people involved. So do you want to be uh, Bill and Ben? And I'll be Josh and Christine. Okay. So I'll start with Bill. So Bill starts and he says, For example, a woman can help by refusing to wear clothing designed to attract attention to her body. So the context of this is that um, they were talking about quotes from the book. And Bill Maher clearly didn't agree with the book. And he's like oh, this is a this is a quote from your book about a woman not using the designer clothing. And then Joshua is like, of all the quotes, you would find that one. Ben Affleck. <laughs> I can't believe I'm saying this. Ben Affleck says, do you think those are provocative clothes that this woman is wearing or not provocative? And then I think he's pointing to Christine as he says that. Yeah, he points to Christine. He obviously shows her a photo. Again, I wish I could see the photo. Yeah. And Christine says, way to put me on the spot. And laughs. And then it says laughter. Ha ha ha. Yeah. And then she, wait a minute, laughter and applause. I finally take a risk and wear something flashy. Oh, so he's pointing to Christine saying that she's wearing provocative clothes. <gasps> ben is slut shaming, by the way. And then Ben Affleck yeah. says, that's very sassy. And then Joshua says, a lot of girls today want to get guys' attention. And so they dress that way. But my perspective is that is that I want to guard my eyes. I don't want to be encouraging lust in my own heart. And so that's why I say that if girls dress more modestly, it helps out a guy who's trying to think that way. Hmm. Interesting. <sighs> Have you ever thought, Josh, back in 99, that maybe women dress that way because they like it and it's not for you? Yeah, and also like just fucking control yourself i mean this is also 1999 and so we have to really think about like the time period that we're in right now but what ben affleck is saying and what bill maher is saying is actually pretty progressive and nice and being like how does the way that a woman dress like it has nothing to do with you she gets up and she gets dressed because she wants to wear that shit not because she's thinking about you when yeah. she walks out the door that's kind of what i'm getting from that yeah and i mean i'll we'll include the link to that transcript in the show notes so if anyone's interested you can read more to get the context so it's really interesting because he went from being like josh harris was this child that had grown up in a like homeschooling environment but he really didn't have a whole lot of life experience aside from being homeschooled and going to church before before leaving his home and so he wrote the book I kissed dating goodbye and he ended up getting a christian book deal and then selling over like a million copies of that book 1.2 million copies worldwide so his his book really touched a lot of people over the years it was 
for me and for people growing up in church like it was a big it was a big deal he was a big deal he went on a speaking tour he had a a video series of bible studies and i was not able to find any of those videos oh that's too bad so i guess that's what happens when you do things in the early 2000s late 90s early 2000s there's no evidence of it well i also think too like he ended up apologizing for everything so he ended up apologizing on on twitter someone had said your book messed me up and he was just like i'm sorry that's how it's that's how his apology started that's how his apology started because he had started to question and think about these things and then he was hearing about from multiple people online with the height of social media how negatively it had impacted people's lives and he said at first he kind of just shrugged it off but then he was you know reconsidering his own points of view and how many people had heard and so he ended up apologizing and then in 2018 he actually asked the former publisher to discontinue the publication so there are no more books but you like you wouldn't be able to like buy this book um well if you wanted to i'm sure you could find it but i mean you can still find it but it says like there were no more follow up books to be reprinted once the current stock had been depleted so i'm sure i'm sure you can still find it but maybe it's like secondhand copies so it's no longer being published anymore whoa okay so then he just kind of had this come to jesus moment was like oh i probably so what year was this this was back in 2016 initially where he apologized and then 2018 where he asked for the book to be discontinued in its publication wow so very recent yeah so very recent from what i understand of my very limited knowledge is that he also made a documentary yes so that's what i was getting to next so he went to grad school in 2015 at regent college in vancouver bc and though it was a christian college i think it was more liberal in some ways because it really opened up his eyes and had him question some of his former beliefs and how he had been so legalistic and that's what had kind of prompted him to apologize and then then there was someone that he had met as like a fellow student at regent college and with him she they made the movie i survived i kissed dating goodbye And it's where he spoke to people and discussed, you know, criticisms of the book and apologized. But then it gets more interesting. So in 2019, he announced that him and his wife were separating and that he was no longer a Christian, no longer identified as a Christian. Oh, I didn't know that part. Yeah. And so he with that announcement, he actually got cut from uh, like his documentary film. He lost the distributor. Because it was it had such a negative reaction from the Christian market. Because if you think about it, this guy was a pillar in two thousands purity culture. He was mm-hmm. he was a super famous figure within evangelical and charismatic circles. So have you watched I Survive I Kiss Dating Goodbye? Yeah. Okay, so this is predominantly a Christian focused documentary. Yeah. Talking about how his book was too legalistic and how how dating could be a good thing to learn about yourself it didn't need to be selfish dating could still be godly oh okay because i was like which way is this documentary skewing so if if, obviously if he got kicked off this documentary it wasn't a secular documentary to begin no no it was a christian documentary and there was actually christianity today did a podcast series about josh harris and it's interesting they're like we don't even think he knows himself (laughs) <laughs> I'm like, no, he's he's totally like trying to evolve past 
whatever happened. Oh yeah, because if you if you just try to change, it means you don't know yourself. Yeah, that's that's one of the things I don't understand. Where people are like, oh, if someone changes their mind, they're not solid. They don't have a strong character or grounding it's like oh that drives me so fucking crazy you I know, know. Like they're flip-flopping it's like you can change your mind yeah you can change your mind you're allowed to change your mind and i think that's what really stops people from changing their minds about a lot of things yeah i'm wary of people that have the same views for like 30 years yeah like you should evolve like that's mm-hmm. i don't know if i was still believing the same things that i believed when i was 21 like so if i wrote a book when i was 21 i can't imagine what it would have been about but i would probably also at this point in my life make another documentary saying I rescind my views on whatever the fuck I did when I was 21 because like anybody you have no idea what life is when you're that age and I find that so funny because it's like oh my goodness like you're 21 like that and he's talking about dating and marriage like who gave this guy a fucking book deal that's that's who we should be doing the podcast about (laughs) this idiot who gave this guy a book deal but but people ate it up people loved it right and he was just this naive kid who had been homeschooled his whole life and he didn't have a lot of exposure to a lot of things just like most people don't when they're 21 yeah I just can't imagine because obviously like we laugh and look back at things that we did at that age thank god I didn't write a book about it yeah thank god a million plus people weren't reading my thoughts and actually thinking they were good ideas oh my god (laughs) oh yeah exactly right thinking that they were good ideas so but you mentioned that he went on and said he's not a Christian. And if you go on his Instagram now, which I is the only really thing I know about him because I haven't read the books. If you go on his Instagram now, he's like a normal guy. And if you go to his comment section, it's literally just people being like, fuck you. You ruined my life. Fuck you. And it's really sad. I think he's a normal, nice guy like who did something stupid when he was young. Yeah. I thought we could hear from him. I have a short clip of him talking about his experience in renouncing Christianity. Before you do, we should say also that uh, we did ask him early on if he would ever want to be on a podcast. And he was really gracious, but said no. Like he's moved past that. So understandably so. So he's probably not going to be going on any podcast to talk about it yeah and he, i think he already has i think that's a thing yeah and now he has his own podcast called clear and loud where he has a lot of different thinkers on has conversations so he's he's a cool guy he's trying to move past this i feel bad that his comments sections and he's probably just being harassed all the time to talk about this so i respect him not wanting to come on and reinvent the wheel because he's he's already put a lot out there And so I thought that I would share this short video. As a very young man, you wrote a book that sold a million copies. Mm. Yeah, it was called I Kissed Dating Goodbye. And that got a lot of attention because it was a a radical idea. We shouldn't just not have sex. We should stop dating because dating is leading to us uh, making these mistakes. So the first time you kissed your wife was? At the altar, yeah. I got married. Uh, about a year and a half after that book was released and then dove into being a pastor and pastored a church for uh, for 17 years. I was a pastor there. And then this summer you went on Instagram and said essentially, I don't believe. Mm. By all the measurements that I have for defining a Christian, mm. I'm not a Christian. What do you mean by that? I was really just trying to be honest about the fact that all the ways that I had defined faith and Christianity, that I was no longer choosing to 
live according to those. Most significantly, the decision that my wife and I made to end our marriage. Some people were angry. A lot of people were angry, understandably. Why understandably? Because I was a leader and a spokesman, and I called people to live in very particular ways, to sacrifice in very particular ways. And so for me to change in my thinking uh, feels like a betrayal to them. You know, Mike, as a pastor, I, I excommunicated people. If you're not living according to the teaching of the Bible and you're living in unrepentant sin, then you have to be put out of the church. And I think I came to a point of recognizing, you know what, I'm not living according to this. And I held other people to this standard and, you know, I excommunicated myself, essentially. I know people who think that you messed up their life, that they're married to the wrong person because of you. Yeah. You know, I apologize for it. I unpublished the books. I pulled the books off the market. But you can't give people, you know, years of their life. Do you feel guilty? How do you feel when people say you caused me great harm? <sighs> well, it was, a, it was a long process for me. Um, I started seeing that the book really had misled a lot of people. Oh, my God. That was so heavy. I know. I know we've talked about I Kiss Dated Goodbye and the things that are problematic with that book, but I honestly have so much respect for Josh Harris because it takes a lot of guts to leave the church. And honestly, for me, coming out as not a Christian was harder than coming out as as queer. Yeah. Wow. Oh, my God. Sorry, I'm just like, I'm a little... Leading up to now, I really, I, I like I said, I, I did not look into him at all. All I knew that is that he was getting a lot of negative comments on his Instagram. And for somebody to put themselves out there like he did and just be like, yep, I left. I look at all these horrible things I've done and people tell me that I ruined their lives. And like, what can I even do? Like, it's horrible what I've done. And, like, what, what do you expect from him? I, I know that, like, if your life has been ruined or you think your life has been ruined by Josh Harris, you, you want him to repent in all of these ways. But, like, what else can he do? He unpublished his book. He came out and said that it was not right. Like, you, he can't go back in time. You can see that he's humbly apologizing. And he's apologized to everyone. Yeah. Like, he's apologized to the LGBTQ community. Oh, really? Okay. He's apologized for, as a pastor, there were cases of sexual abuse within his church. No! And he didn't go to the police, and they dealt with it internally. And he he's apologized for just feeling awful with a lot of the decisions he made. I think at the time, he felt like he was doing the right thing like I think he's a, a human with a lot of in integrity and I think he really believed those things and he was he was just a product Christian or not you don't see a lot of people apologizing for their mistakes especially publicly and sincerely like so for example you know if a celebrity does something stupid and their publicist tells him to apologize you always feel like those are really phony apologies but you can tell that he is like he doesn't have a publicist like he's just a dude he's not like i'm taking time to reflect and do better and do education yeah, no. and da, da, da. <laughs> like i feel like all of them have the same the same fucking script when they when they do something yes. that's not politically correct and they're like oh shit someone got me a video of me saying the n-word and it's like 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. And I better just apologize, even though I don't really want to. But I gotta say, I'm gonna reflect, and I'm gonna donate money, and I'm gonna do this and that, and I'm gonna take time off. And then they come back in three months, and they're like, it's like there's an allotted time they have to stay away. And then they come back, and everything's forgiven. And I do, I do think obviously we should forgive people, and yeah, that the choices that people make at one point. Like they can, obviously they can be genuinely sorry for them. I just think it's become such a public thing lately. But he was doing this before public apologies were a thing. Yeah. And he was like, he was canceled before cancel culture was, you know, cancel culture. It's just really like, it's really heavy. That was a lot. Like, I, I guess I didn't really expect to feel really bad for somebody. Like that could have been us so easily. Every, every Christian or former Christian that's mad at him, I'm like, you could have been him so fucking easily. You could have written this book and then rescinded the book and then been hated. Like, you need to have a little empathy because you would have done the fucking same thing. Yeah. You would have. You would have. And we we ate that up, right? And there were... Yes. There's a lot of, like, that I've been reading online. And one thing that's interesting is, like, where were all the middle-aged Christians being like, no, 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 no. <laughs> like, don't, don't listen to this 21-year-old. Yeah. He doesn't know. But I feel like at the time, it's like that was when the purity movement was in its heyday. And I'm sure even non-religious parents are like, oh, you're not going to, you know, make out with your boyfriend. You're not going to be sneaking around doing shit. Yeah, whatever it takes. I could see that. So my parents being non-practice, like they're not, you know, into that type of thing I could see them reading that and being like "Eh, it's a bit much but if I had told my mom that you know about this I didn't read the book obviously but if I had and told my mom I'm not gonna you know kiss until marriage I think she would have been like that's strange like she probably would have sat me down but I told her like I'm not gonna have sex till marriage she was like cool like that's one less thing for me to worry about yeah no teen pregnancy so I know that was super heavy but I just wanted to show like I know that I don't want to add to the hate for Josh Harris because obviously his book had things that were problematic but he would he would agree with us and I I think he is really brave I think he's just a positive person and that he he's a really good example for taking responsibility for your own actions and because he you know he had everything if you idealized his life he had the wife the three kids he was a pastor he was recognized all around the world for being this this amazing spiritual leader when it came to Christian relationships and can we also just talk about like I'm I'm just opening up his book right now can we also just talk about the fedora like <laughs> like why milady like, milady yeah like the cover of the book just cracks me up yes go time. google the cover of this book it's just on google images I'm, I'm gonna find some good quotes and send them to you to see your reaction so you want me to read this this is an excerpt from the book i kissed eating goodbye okay okay in my family we have a tradition of writing letters to each other on our birthdays the letters i received on my 21st birthday really caught me off guard why because of the consistent references to someone special who evidently in the opinion of my parents and younger brother would pop up any day my mom started the trend with this sentence I know it will be hard to let you go when you meet that one we're all waiting and praying for. Yo, okay. So when he's 21, her letter to him is about his future spouse that she has been waiting for and praying for. I feel like that's weird. So what's the obsession with finding a spouse for your child? But no, but it's the one. Uh, The The one. one. And so this obsession with the one... 
And there's so much pressure put on those young Christian relationships because it's like, okay, this is courtship. You know, we've all decided. We all think this is a good idea. Your parents, your godly mentors. And, you know, this is the person that we've been praying for since you were born. Uh, what about having a spouse makes you more worthy than somebody else? Right. It's a, it's put on a pedestal. And why on earth would you feel the need to start pushing that at 21? Like, you know, it's going to any day now. Now I'm kind of having memories of us as teenagers. And remember when you're a teenager, whether you're Christian or not, you're like, I'm going to be married when I'm 22. And then at 25, I'm going to have a house and three children and a minivan. And then at 30, I'm going to die of old age. All right, so I have another quote that I want you to read from the book. I'm going to send it to you. Oh, this one's really long. Okay. Oh, this is a story. Okay. So, Jessica, you can, yeah, you can read it, and then we can kind of just talk about it. I'm interested to see your reaction as you read it. God. It was finally here, Anna's wedding day, the day she had dreamed about and planned for months. The small, picturesque church was crowded with friends and family. Sunlight poured through the stained glass windows, and the gentle music of a string quartet filled the air. Anna walked down the aisle toward David. Joy surged within her. This was the moment for which she had waited so long. He gently took her hand, and they turned toward the altar. But as the minister began to lead Anna and David through their vows, the unthinkable happened. A girl stood up in the middle of the congregation and walked to the altar and took David's other hand. <laughs> Another girl approached and stood next to the first, followed by another. Soon a chain of six girls stood by him as he repeated his vows to Anna. Anna felt her lip begin to quiver as tears welled up in her eyes. Is this some kind of joke? She whispered to David. I'm, I'm sorry, Anna, he said, staring at the floor. Who are these girls, David? What's going on? She gasped. They're girls from my past, he answered sadly. Anna, they don't mean anything to me now, but I've given part of my heart to each of them. I thought your heart was mine, she said. It is, it is, he pleaded. Everything that's left is yours. <laughs> Sorry. A tear rolled down Anna's cheek. Then she woke up. <laughs> okay. Anna told me about her dream in a letter. When I awoke, I felt so betrayed, she wrote. But then I was struck with these sickening thoughts. How many men could line up next to me on my wedding day? How many times have I given my heart away in a short-term relationship? Will I have anything left to give my husband? Oh, God. God. I fucking hate so much. <laughs> it's like you only get a certain amount of tokens. And if you give them away, then you're you're just done. Like you're You're like not worth anything anymore. God, I find I find this talking. What is Josh talking about? Like, I'm sorry. This is a really bad. This is a bad idea uh, that he is having. This yes. is very very bad. And this is really this can cause so many problems for people. Like, it's really really sad that you. It's like <laughs> someone viewing themselves as damaged goods, or like they have nothing left to give because. Well, another way to think of this too is that like. What he's basically saying is, like, the first time you have a relationship with someone, you better make it work because you're going to be damaged if you if you break up and try to date someone else. Like, imagine marrying the first person you ever dated. <laughs> Sorry, no, I just can't no. imagine. <laughs> I'd be so mad. But that's what he's insinuating is that, like, you better 
you better just marry that one person that you start dating because then otherwise there's going to be all these people lined up with you on the altar. That is, I'm angry. Like this is, this has angered me. (laughs) I feel like I just, there's so much to unpack about that mindset. Stop telling kids that if they have sex with someone or if they even kiss someone or tell someone they love them or try to date someone that they're going to be a chewed up piece of gum. Like this is the same thing that we saw in the purity ring episode, right? Oh, the gum. Yes, the gum analogy. The gum analogy. You're going to be like stuck to other people or whatever the fuck or you're going to be like a crumbled up piece of paper or whatever the hell they say. It's all the same analogy that basically if you date someone or have sex with someone then automatically you're unforgiven but then he goes on to say later like you said that you can pray for forgiveness but what he's really saying in this story is that like you can pray for forgiveness but you're not gonna get it you're always gonna have a piece of your heart with somebody else it's really self-contradictory yeah this is just full of contradictions (laughs) (laughs) yeah because it talks about redemption and then it's like but these people are still gonna be at the altar and i think honestly if if that was happening, that someone was still constantly thinking or not over all the other people they'd been with or comparing their partner constantly. They should probably not be at being Or like go to yeah, therapy. They should probably not. Explore the gift of singleness. Like be single for a while if you are. Yeah. If you're not over somebody, then you shouldn't marry someone. <laughs> yeah. That's probably good advice. I mean, there's little tiny bits and pieces that I can pick out of that story and be like, okay, but that's not the advice he's giving. That's not the advice he's giving at all. Like there's just... We could go on tangents and say, oh, he's saying this or my interpretation is that he's saying that. Like, no, what he's saying is that if you date a bunch of people, you're going to be damaged goods. That's that's it. And that makes me so angry. Oh, I would. I'd be so mad if someone taught this to my child. Oh, I'd be so mad. But can you relate like from your own experience? Like, do you remember having (laughs) that guilt? Obviously. Oh, Oh, I thought you were going to say because you dated so many people. Do you, is your part of your heart still with all those guys? Because you're a slut. I'm just joking. I'm just <laughs> you're joking. a big slut. Um, did yeah. I have that guilt? Oh, yeah, because you, you dated sincerely... a guy mm-hmm. in grade seven. No, you dated in a guy grade in grade seven. eight. You dated a couple guys in grade oh. nine. Oh, my God. I forgot about that. Yeah, I never cared about this. And then you dated someone for grade 10 and 11. Oh, no my way. God. Define dating in grade seven. <laughs> <laughs> you full frontal hugged oh okay God, he'd be yeah. at the altar <laughs> oh that's so good i'm just joking i just can't i can't I totally dated a- I, <sighs> my parents were like whatever like i wasn't doing anything it just makes me laugh that i was i was obsessed with having a boyfriend but but then i would like dump them because i was like i don't i'm bored of you now i want to go hang out with my friends i did that all the time i was like i don't want to <laughs> i was such a bitch it sounds like you were thinking about yourself and not serving Oh my God. In grade seven, I was thinking about myself. How dare I? How dare I as a child be selfish? I think that I I always felt bad when I dumped people. I did feel bad, but I never ever, I can't remember if I had guilt like that about dating other people. I don't, nothing rings a bell. Now I do have a lot of repressed memories. It might come up later, you know, down the line as we continue to trigger ourselves constantly. But yeah, sorry. <laughs> I, no, no, no. I just kidding. But I don't know. I don't think so. I don't think so. And I don't think I cared about stuff like that. Like, I don't think I ever subscribed to the dating part of it. Like, dating is bad for you. I definitely subscribe to more, like, the more people you have sex with, the more damaged you're going to be. I def That was definitely a thing. But I didn't have sex with people. So then I was like, well, I'm good. And so I, I, I honestly thought that, and I still think that dating multiple people 
it it helps you experience dating and help you helps you learn what you want and what you don't want in a partnership because otherwise you have no idea like I think about the relationships I had in my late teens early 20s were so unhealthy and codependent and not at all like you don't you have no concept of boundaries and no concept of respect I don't think like without dating multiple people with multiple different personalities it makes you it can make you a better person it makes you a better partner I think you just the more life experience you have the more you learn and you learn a lot through relationships in general not just people that you happen to be involved with like sexually you learn a lot through friendships you learn a lot through friendships breaking down co-workers just I feel like your 20s is just a slew of navigating like shitty situations (laughs) that's what your 20s is for and just being and like being way too anxious about all of those situations being in my 20s was a time for me to explore who I am and and then it allowed me to be a better partner well I think yeah I think to sum up like what we're trying to say is during your 20s the brain doesn't stop developing till on average 25 for women and 28 for men so there, like there's so much going on and you all of a sudden are given like all the rights and responsibilities of adults but your brain is still developing and you're you're still figuring things out so give yourself a little grace if you're you're in your early 20s yeah (laughs) yeah i wish i wouldn't have known that and i hear your 40s are even better so funny that you say that because today i've been just seeing all this stuff about 40s and i'm like i'm excited to be 40 i feel like i'm gonna give even less of a fuck when i'm 40 yeah that's a thing like in my 30s my fucks have gone way down like i don't care and and it's gonna be so much better in 10 years man yeah can't wait my birthday is in like less than a month and i'm gonna be 32 so we're getting there anyway but we digress okay so we were talking about oh my god that fucking quote that was what i was just like mad when i read that do you want to hear what comes directly after that part oh yes oh no to give you some context oh i'm just gonna be so much more mad aren't i and you stopped and will i have anything left to give my husband yes i stopped there so this is josh's take on the story I often think of Anna's dream. The jarring image haunts me. There are girls from my past too. What if they showed up on my wedding day? What would they say in the receiving line? Hello, Joshua. Those were some pretty lofty promises you made at the altar today. I hope you're better at keeping promises now than you were before. (laughs) Well, don't you look nice in a tuxedo and what a beautiful bride. Does she know about me? Have you told her all the sweet things you used to whisper in my ear? I'm sorry, but he's just <laughs> assuming that none of these women are over him. Like, you know, people move on, Josh. Like, people, like I, yeah. you know, I have exes. I'm not going to show up on their wedding day and be like, you used to tell me that you liked me. Like, what are you <laughs> talking about? No matter how intense your relationship was, people will move on. And you can move on too. You're allowed to move on and love somebody else. You can love multiple people in your life. That's kind of the beauty of of dating i really think that it can be like a very good experience to learn about who you are and he's basically just telling you that you can't do that and not become a person yeah i do not like this book so we've covered a lot in this episode yeah i'm upset (laughs) you're always sad i feel bad (laughs) i'm sorry you're gonna be even more sad after the story probably sorry (laughs) god that's okay but yeah i feel like we have covered a lot of different things and most people will come away with an idea of the book and and the type of relationship advice that we were given when we were in the church circles yeah 
So, but but you're in luck, people, because it's not over. Josh Harris wrote <laughs> many books. So the next one is Boy Meets Girl. Say hello to courtship. Yes, and I bought it. I did. You I did. bought it. Wow. Yes. So I did, and I'm I'm ready. I'm ready to buckle in and read it, and hopefully we'll be doing an episode on that book soon. We have a few episodes lined up before that that are much more lighthearted and fun. I think we're going to go a little more lighthearted because we keep doing these like really triggering conversations that make us anxious. So we're going to, we're going to have a little more fun in the next few episodes. And then we're going to come back and talk about courtship and just make everyone depressed again. So, but right now you said that you have a story that's going to depress me, right? So here we go. Cue the music. Welcome to story time with Sarah. Sit back, relax, and enjoy a story from our favorite book, the Bible. I got inspired actually by looking back to 2009 at one of Josh Harris's old sermons. So I'll include that in the notes, but I think I'm going to look it up and go through it. So have you heard of the story of David and Bathsheba? No, I've never heard any Bible story. Apparently, (laughs) I don't know any of these stories that you're talking about. (laughs) Like I said, the ADHD just uh, really caused me to not listen ever, which is probably good. Do you remember like King David? Like David and Goliath? No. (laughs) No, no, no. Yes, yes, yes. Oh! Yes. Yeah, so he was, yeah, the same David. So this is from 2 Samuel 11, if anyone wants to follow along. I won't wrap the verses of the Bible, but I can. What? (laughs) You don't remember the Bible verse wrap? Oh, I feel like you've talked about this with me. You know I don't know anything. I didn't pay attention. Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges. I'll tell you the truth about the book of Ruth. On to First and Second Samuel. Here we are. Samuel, Second Samuel 11. Oh my goodness. That has opened up a new vault of memories that have just flooded out of me. Okay, go. All right. So Second Samuel, and this is from the New International Version. So basically, David was hanging out. He was getting up from bed. And this is during wartime. There was a war going on, but he was still hanging out in Israel. And he goes up on his roof of the palace, and he's just looking, looking around. And what does he see? From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. So he's just, he's being a fucking peeping Tom over here, just a pervert. Big old perv. And he saw that the woman was very beautiful. And he sent someone to find out about her. And the man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent his messengers to get her. She came to him and he slept with her. <laughs> okay. Now she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanness. Uh, so but- she had she was taking a post-period bath after <laughs> a week of having her period. Okay. And so it should be known that... I hope the story doesn't make you sad again, but it it should be known that most scholars agree that because of the authority, like she probably would have had her life at risk if she said no. So essentially he was like, I want that one. And they brought her. So essentially it was rape. So he. No, cool. So he slept with her and. I figured it was probably not consensual. Then she went back home and she conceived and sent the word to David saying, I'm pregnant. So David, his sexual assault of Bathsheba has now led to a pregnancy. And you know what David says? So David sent this word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent him to David. When Uriah came to see him, David asked him how Joab was, how the soldiers were and how the war was going. 
And then David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah left the palace and a gift from the king was sent after him. So he's trying to get Uriah to come home to have sex with Bathsheba so that that he doesn't figure out that that this is not the this is not like infidelity or adultery so that he thinks it's his kid. So Uriah slept at the entrance to the palace with all of the masters and servants. He didn't go home because he was so dedicated to the country. And David's like, oh, why don't you just go home and eat, drink, get drunk, make love to your wife? And then he said, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to stay here. And then so David, he, he sent the letter to like the head of the army and he said, put Uriah out front where the fighting is fiercest. Then withdraw from him so he will be struck down and die. So unfortunately, poor Uriah was put on the front line and killed. And then he got to marry Bathsheba. And then they had a baby and God killed the baby because he was displeased. <laughs> God, I just, that was so expected when he said that. I'm like, oh my God. Well, no, no, no. God didn't, it was a stillbirth. Oh, freaking, jeez. We're going to need so many trigger warnings for this episode. So she mourned her husband's death and then, then David gets rebuked and everyone's pissed off at him. Oh, the Old Testament, the Old Testament. The word of the Lord. The word of the Lord. So this story, how does this story relate back to Josh Harris? Yeah. how He was preaching on it. He was preaching on it. What does he say about it? Was he just like, this is a cool story and I like it? He basically just tells, he tells the story and I think it's used as an example that um, you shouldn't lust after. Uh, oh, this is a story against lust. Yeah. So this is like, you shouldn't, you shouldn't lust after a woman because what David did was wrong, but God was still able to use David. Well, of course what David did was wrong. I think he's because he's a piece of shit. You also shouldn't rape people. You can lust. You can be like, oh, that's a beautiful woman. Anyway, on with my day. You don't have to then. Yeah, you don't You don't need to like have your binoculars out and say, can you go find some information on that woman? <laughs> and then and then they come back, bring her to me. Like I'm guessing that he also blamed her for being so audacious as to bathe outdoors where someone could see her. How dare she? She's on a roof. No, I mean, I think Josh Harris was, he was not talking about this story in the context of it being a rape. I think he was just saying, like, David shouldn't have lusted after Bathsheba. Okay, yeah, like, yep, sure. Oh my god, I hate everything and everyone, and I would like to say goodbye now. <laughs> Sarah, you have sufficiently depressed me today. I'm so sorry. <laughs> have I ruined this podcast oh. for you? Oh, no, no. Is this the worst one yet? No, masturbation okay. was definitely worse than this one. Okay. Like, this isn't the worst. It's just the most sad one. Not yeah. everyone is going to be fun. Some things are going to be sad. But I think these, I think, like, as depressing as some of these topics are, because obviously we're going to have episodes that are that are lighter, like speaking in tongues. But I think these ones are also important because these, these impacted people in a lot, like, in a lot of different ways. If we wanted to keep things light and positive, that would be very cult-like to do. You and know? we wouldn't like, be talking about religious trauma if we <laughs> wanted to keep things positive. You know? If we wanted to keep things light and positive, we just wouldn't be doing this podcast. It's literally called You Can't Get to Heaven in a Miniskirt. Is there anything more <laughs> depressing than like going to hell because of how you dress? Oh, no, it's okay. I'm not. I, I just joke. I'm not like I am sad, but that is fine. 
being sad at these things is a normal response because these things are really heavy and these are really important conversations that need to be had and I'm sure a lot of different podcasts are having these conversations but it it doesn't mean that they shouldn't continue to happen and I'm hoping that somebody who's listening will learn something new what's our lesson from today um our lesson from today is that people should follow the example of Josh Harris post 2015 and be responsible for their own actions and it's okay to grow and change and evolve amen can I get an amen amen all right that's a I don't know why I don't know why I said it like that okay that's a wrap that's a wrap wrap your dicks get out of here and go listen to something more fun yeah hopefully you come back again because I promise it won't be sad anymore or as sad okay I'm done Oh, I was doing a stand-up set the other night and somebody was talking about how he's in his early 20s and he was like, oh, I wasn't even alive during 9-11. I was like, oh, no, <laughs> I need to leave. <laughs>